Welcome to Faith Fondue, a podcast featuring author and speaker Haley D. Maria and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. It's the week of March 13th. This is season three, episode seven. It is the second weekend of Lent. Anne has been on retreat. Haley is looking forward to spring break, and we are both looking forward to sharing the next 30 minutes with you. Good morning, Anne. Morning, Haley. Looking forward to hearing a little bit about your spring cleaning, something called Sporkle. Very curious about that. I want to share a special event that was hosted last night at Olympic Club uh, Fireside Chat and just how special something so simple can be. And we'll talk about this uh, gospel, one that people are probably familiar with, and our continued journey through Lent. So let's start, Haley. I was surprised you talked about you're already preparing to downsize. Talk to me about that. Yep. So we are, of course, uh, many of you know, my older son's in college. My younger son is preparing to leave for college. We have a really great house to raise kids in. It is much bigger than we need, and it's a great time to sell. So the problem is it's a great time to sell, doesn't always make it a great time to buy. But So we're in the process of thinking next steps, what works for Jamie and I. It's just going to be the two of us. We both work, so it's kind of a big house for our two dogs during the day. Uh, But either way, at at some point we will downsize, might be sooner than later. But I decided to start just cleaning out. We've collected a lot of stuff, and that's a polite word, over 18 years. And of course, when you have the space, we have a very large basement and storage in the basement. I feel like the more space you have, the more stuff you keep. And we just don't need all of it. But it one, the one thing I wanted to share was I was going through some bins and I found all of my medical records from 30 years ago at the time of the wow. accident. They're all handwritten, which is super fascinating. That would never happen today. And it, it, of course, there's an extraordinary amount of paperwork that went along with that. And then I found a, a, an interview, um, that actually a deposition interview that my back surgeon in San Diego had given. And it was pretty lengthy as well. I didn't read all of it. But I came across this part at the end where they were asking about my quality of life. You know, what's life going to look like for this 18, at this point, it's a couple years later, so 20-year-old girl who's been through this traumatic experience and had these extraordinary surgeries and been paralyzed, all of this. And he starts talking about what are very common long-term effects for someone who's gone through what I've gone through. And everything he was talking about, he has seen in every patient that he has had. And they all start to happen about 10 to 20 years post-surgery or post-event. And of course, I'm 30 years post-event, right? And I would say a small handful of them I've experienced, but the majority of them I have not. Wow. And I know. And and it was I, I in many I got a little emotional and I, I started thinking this is this is what should have happened, might still happen, was probably going to happen. But I think what really got me was 
there was a line, and I, I probably should have written it down, but I, I think I was just overwhelmed by um, just the affection that I have for my back surgeon and, and the, truly the gift that he's given me of this very active, healthy, and pain-free life. But you know, he talks. He talks in. He talks a lot about. You know, this is what normally happens. This is what probably is going to happen. And then he just said, "But Haley's not normal." And you know, you, I, I, I hope she doesn't ever become normal. And it was just, you know, for a doctor who was he is he's a surgeon. He's a back surgeon, right? So you can imagine that personality. He's very oh, clinical. Yeah. And, yes. And while he always had a wonderful bedside manner with me, or at least I thought he did, that mm-hmm. that, that isn't necessarily perhaps um, you know how many people feel. But it <laughs> it was it was just a, a small line in there that you could just even hear the admiration he had as well. And you know that's how I feel about him. Truly, when I when I get emotional about what I've gone through, that's part of it is the massive gift he does he has given me of this very active, healthy life. And, um, and and clearly, I didn't know how lucky I am. Uh, I think I do. But it was a really fascinating hour, two hours. I mean, it was really kind of a, I really got, it's one of those things where you go down a rabbit hole and I couldn't stop reading, but I'm glad I did. Um, wow. you know, it was, I think we all need that reminder sometimes. You would think I didn't need a reminder to, to feel lucky and blessed, but it was something that kind of came out of the blue. And I, it, it was, it was just an interesting afternoon for me. Yeah. That is not where I expected the story to go, Haley. That is so interesting. And I'm, I'm actually curious, like to what degree will that be something that you might include, you know, in future talks, but I was struck by a couple of things. One, just your humility, humility and appreciation for the realization of living a pain-free life. Because when you hear about people, so many people who live in chronic pain, and for those of us who've had those moments in and out, like I, I, yesterday, for example, played golf, I walked and carried, I wasn't like feeling the back pain that I frequently feel. And it's so liberating. And to know that some people live with, with chronic pain is heart-wrenching especially back pain it is debilitating i i don't think anyone appreciates how connected the back is to every part of your body until until you're living with back pain and there's so many things that you can't do and and that really is a lot of what what was written you know what i read about yesterday was the the chronic pain and I, I do actually often share, although now I truly know that it's miraculous, I, I do often share that probably one of the most amazing things about my story is that I don't live with pain, you know, and I'll, I'll knock on wood there. But it, it, it really is remarkable knowing how, knowing what my body has been through and then realizing that it's, um, it, it really, I don't take that for granted. Yeah. No, I know you don't. And I was also just struck by your appreciation for his comment that Haley's not normal because out of context, you could <laughs> take that as like, you know, she's not normal. But I heard you say that as he sees you for who you really are in appreciation for the person, the patient. And uh, that is so important. I think in any time there's a relationship of care and and concern for another person is that we see them for who they are. And I just love that. I love that he wrote that and that you, you saw that. So. Oh, absolutely. I I was expecting a Marie Kondo treatise, you know, (laughs) a 
uh, you know, outer order, inner calm, you know, whatnot. Yes, I'm on board with throwing things out. I, I think we all are, but that's really special. It was, it was. I shared it with my husband, and of course, he said, "Well, I guess we're keeping that bin." <laughs> so ah. We're keeping that bin. <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse or you could digitize it wouldn't that be very oh my gosh I, that would take so much time take photos of it and upload the photos into the cloud no thanks <laughs> yeah I think it's actually yeah. you, you know these are the bins that I put notes in to my kids that you know I say I couldn't throw this out but please do yeah, I, that's smart because that I don't smart. want them to look at it and think they have to keep it they definitely do not but I, I I'm not ready to part with that yet yeah well that's quite a story and um I'd like to just share last night was a book event and it featured Tom Coyne. He's class of 97 from Notre Dame. Um, and he got his MFA in creative writing in class of 99. He's a New York Times award-winning best-selling author. He's written five books. Um, his latest book is A Course Called America in Search of the Great American Golf Course. Tom is just remarkable for a number of reasons. And number one is his ability to tell stories. So it was, you, you have a fireside chat, and I was thinking about that event. What did it require? Two chairs, two microphones, a willing audience, a Q&A. The host was our president, Paul O'Driscoll, who's from Ireland. And I, I, when I introduced him, I said he's never met a stranger. He needs no introduction. He's Paul, <laughs> Pablo, as we call him. And the two of them just talked about you know, golf in Ireland and the British Isles versus, you know, America, a little bit about Notre Dame, how the book was written, came about all of it. And Tom grew up outside of Philadelphia. He himself was a caddy. And he said that the best storytellers in the world are caddies. And I thought that was so interesting. He's saying that as a caddy, but, you know, part of, I think a good story is well, maybe there's not truth in it all the time and you tell it as truth. That might be part of it. But observation, listening, maybe maybe you're in the background. I don't know. Sometimes stories, you know, Greg Boyle said stories come to those who can tell them. But it was such a great night because he really has made a career out of something that is very difficult to have made it this far. And his energy and willingness to travel, to promote the book, but to talk about the stories in the book. It was remarkable, people he's met. And it's all like, because he shared his passion. So his passion is golf, but he's also very, very talented. He was talented. We knew that, we knew that as an undergrad, we knew that at 22, that he was really good. So um, congrats to Tom, anyone who's interested. I think A Course Called America is, is outstanding. It's nonfiction, but he wants to get back into fiction. His first book, A Gentleman's Game, was made into a movie and it is fiction. So we'll see where it goes. Well, I can, I, I, of course, I'm not a golfer. These may not be books that I would ever pick up. However, I will let you know that when you have mentioned him before and spoke about the, the Scotland book and the Ireland book, um, I had purchased them for my brother who does love golf oh, um, and he cool. really enjoyed them as well. So I, that's just a, an, another shout out there. And I appreciate you for sharing that with me because sometimes brothers are hard to shop for, <laughs> as you know. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, and clearly he gives it two thumbs up as well. That's great. That's great. So tell me what this Sporkle is. So Sporkle apparently is, obsession, is apparently. I, I, so, you know, ask your students about it because I wonder if they have heard of it because I was told this by my son. So Sporkle is a, well, the way I know it is 
it is online quizzes. So they do live trivia, they have different quizzes, but the one that was brought to my attention that I am now obsessed with is this quiz where you have to mark the country the states in the united the states in the united states you have to guess the states in the united states without any outlines so they give you a blank map of the united states that's gray just the whole yeah, thing's gray an outline right and and it they'll have you know alaska will pop up obviously that's an easy one california pops up that's a pretty easy one all of a sudden iowa pops up and you have to click on iowa with hmm. no lines, right? You're not even looking at the outline of the state. It's just a gray country. So I'm going to take a screenshot of that and it is going yeah. to be the cover of our podcast. So for okay. those of you who are listening, this is what you're looking at when uh, you first logged on, if, if that's what you're doing. But, and you only have seven minutes to do it. And as soon as you get one wrong, you're done. The game cancels. Hmm. So you have to get through all 50, identifying all 50 states without any borders. And you have to do it in seven minutes. Okay, I don't, I need some clarity. So what do you mean by without any borders? So I'm thinking of Texas, there's the panhandle, you know, and whatnot, or Oklahoma, I mean, easy, right? But what do you mean by no borders? Like it's- So you're looking at a map of the United States. Yeah. That is yep. one solid color gray. Okay. No right. identifying borders of the states. So okay. you're just going on the geography. So you're like, you okay. know where California is, you know where Texas is, you know where Florida is. But in the middle of the United States, let's say you get Oklahoma, do you know exactly where it is? If you don't have mm -hmm. Texas already there? Yeah, so got it, got it. it. It's, it's a little, it, it was confusing. that is yes, but I don't uh, know that I would know Iowa. So fair yeah. enough, okay, <laughs> I cannot wait. I love this, I was American studies. I was totally joking about this last night because for example, Tom was, Tom was an English major and a shout out to English majors for their love of reading and ideas. They're just, I don't know, the ones I know are exceptionally interesting because you know, part of it is your love of reading, right? Right. And I, he was not PLS, as we know, um, which means its own thing at, to among Notre Dame alumni. And I was American Studies, so I was joking that in the tea box, he asked this question. He said, who put this pin placement here, Nero, Caligula, which is hilarious. These are two Roman emperors. And I said, Tom, the questions I'm asking in the tea box are like, those pants are cute. Who made them? Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I can do America. I can do America. I can't do Roman emperors and um, whatnot. So sporkle bring it yep sporkle I sent, I sent you the link i'm trying to show okay. it to you but it's not really working um that's fun yeah it's super fun because of course my husband got all of them in the first try i did not so then i did finally get them and but he got it faster than i did so of course you know everything's a competition in our house and i need to step up my game <laughs> so once you finish America, does it move to, for example, like Europe? You could. Or... They, there's a whole bunch of them. This is just. Yeah. This just happens to be the U.S. states. But okay. sure, they've got the counties in England. I would never get any of those. Oh, right. interesting. Yeah. So they have all kinds of fun, fun quizzes like that. Thank you. Thanks for the rec. You know what cool. I really love? I love the fact that this is what my 18-year-old is spending time doing. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? true. That's his free time. He's online. He's on the computer. He's doing something like this better than what he could be doing. Hey, that's amen to that. Okay, yes. right on. So uh, what is in our spiritual stew this week? So Any... again, oh, one, one of the gospels from this weekend is 
Matthew 5, 43 to 48, and it includes the words, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then, of course, it goes on to say things like even the tax collector loves other tax collectors. And we, it, you know, the, one of the things I love about this, the cyclical biblical readings, right, the cyclical gospels, is they mean something different every time you hear them. So, you know, I've heard this gospel so many times before, you know, when I when I hear it this time, I'm thinking it in the context of, yes, think about our world today and think about how we tend to just gravitate to like-minded people. And I use we collectively, right? Kind of just us, you know, Americans maybe in, in general. And we we tend to gravitate towards people who have, you know, are a similar political view, or perhaps it's a religious view, or, you know, the way we look at things culturally, sports teams, right? We we love our fans on sports teams. Are we praying for our, you know, and cheering for our rival teams? We should. That's what the Bible says. We don't always, usually not, we're, but or at least collectively as a community. And I just think it's it was it's really interesting how much conflict that causes when we don't put ourselves into when we don't think outside of of just our own little safe bubble so of course you know if you think of all of the the racial distress that we have in this country and how so so many people tend to just stay within their own race and in in groups um and I'm not articulating this very well, but if we could understand and and really live in a more diverse society, racially, politically, spiritually, and just care and get to know others and love them, right? Instead of just thinking they are the others, it would be such a better place to live. And, you know, to me, that's what this gospel is saying. You know, I live in a very democratic state. You do, too. If you're a Republican here, you are the worst. You are. It is. It's really tough to be a, a, a Republican here. People just have stereotypes that they think of you, and it's. It's. I didn't mean to get political because we always agreed that we wouldn't. We are faith fondue, and we are Switzerland like <laughs> cheese, and we are not going to talk about that. However, I do think we need to really say, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute us, and. If we did, if, if we all did more of that, I think we would be in a much better place. And it has to start with us individually because we can only change ourselves. Yeah, it is truly godlike to do that. I believe what we're being asked in this gospel. And it, again, a shout out to Matthew Kelly because his one of his Lenten disciplines is um, the tough teachings of Jesus. And if we really were to embrace this teaching, I think sometimes people struggle with it because it's not saying like what our enemies, sometimes our enemies are for a reason. For example, I, I mean, if I'm Ukrainian, somebody in Russia is my enemy quite literally. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying that everything's okay. Right. But it's looking at our, our common humanity that we're brothers and sisters and in Christ and wow, to pray for someone that's persecuting you, that is, I mean, that's what St. Paul did. I mean, he persecuted Christians. So for him to have had this conversion is part of why he's such a powerful evangelist. But 
it's I think this is part of the mystery of faith, Haley. This this passage to me, it's it's beyond me. It's something that I'm glad Jesus taught because I don't know that I fully can understand or accept it. I know I'm called to live this way, but what does that look like is very difficult. So I agree. It's what we talk about all the time. The words are simple. We we read them, we understand them, but in practice, it can be so hard to do. Yeah. And you are so right about when we make the enemy the other, the the person that we don't know, where all we see is differences. And I go for a walk on Mondays with some coworkers and we joke that it's our echo chamber. <laughs> you know, we love being in, well, you can only stay in the echo chamber so long. Yes. At some point, it just kind of devolves and implodes, right? Because there's just not a diversity of thought, which is what you're kind of calling us to look at. Absolutely. And, and it's um, it's really critical. And and yeah. it's becoming more and more critical as we lose it. Mm-hmm. Which is what is, I think we're all aware of that. And yet we still. We still think the other person's wrong. Yeah. Right. right. I know. It's really tough. It's really tough. So, so, Anne, you were on senior retreat this week, and I had been thinking of you all week and wondering how it was going. So tell us about it. How did it go? No, it was remarkable. I have long believed, and I probably said it before, that the senior retreat or or the retreat programs might be the one of, if not the most important thing a Catholic school can offer. Mm -hmm. It is totally countercultural to go away, to be on retreat. It's like you have to deconstruct so many different things. And it's funny, Haley, because I was actually tired after the retreat, but it was a different kind of tired. I I mean, I'm running around like a thousand miles an hour, and yet this was an invitation to slow down. And then you get into the space where kids are really vulnerable and um, one of the graces of the retreat is that the adult leaders get to read letters from parents. There's a public letter. And you always find out, you learn things about young people and that I, it's just my personality. I, I take on, it's just hard. And this teacher at Bellarmine in San Jose, I always said, and I, I, he got it from someone. It's not his quote, but I attribute it to Larry Laurel. Once you know, you cannot not know. So when you find out students, your own students have lost a parent already, it's just, it, it always, I never see that young person the same way again to have such a profound loss because I have noticed that parents will write about that because mm-hmm. it is something that is so significant in a young person's life and to not acknowledge it. Like this one mom said, when your dad died, you took such good care of your younger brothers, you know, and I have them sitting in class. I had no idea. I had no idea. So we don't know what people go through, but so many graces and I have to give the retreat leader. She just really knew pace. And I think that's important for a retreat too. I've been on this retreat other times and Kairos can be a little bit militant. That was the style of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He was a soldier, but it's been modified and it was really good. And I think that's good for young people today they need those modifications Mm -hmm. coming out of COVID and whatnot. I mean, that was a huge part of every student's experience, referencing COVID, how that affected them. Many for good, many not for good. It was like, it's, you know, a fork in the road. So just to share all of that, I'm glad the pace was very just 
energizing and life-giving. And my piece for the spiritual stew is a quote that I caught in the um, retreat binder that I appreciated. And it's from Romans. It says, the spirit too comes to help us in our weakness for when we cannot choose words in order to pray properly, the spirit himself expresses our plea in a way that can never be put into words. And I think that's so true. That's what spirituality is. It puts the spirit, there's something there and it puts into this right experience that we have that can't be described. And I love that. I don't see that as limiting. I think that's actually inspiring and it, I think it's awesome. So it was meaningful to read that. And I think that's what faith is. There are times things that touch our heart that we just can't put into words. That that's exactly what I was thinking when you when you were reading this and when you were talking about it. That is faith. It is it is something that is there, that is present, that is very real, that in many ways is tangible in terms of how we feel it, but there really aren't words to describe it. And it's I think I think it's one of the the most beautiful things about our faith is um that it's always there and it's always present. So I, I, I will reflect on this, this passage as well. Okay. So that's one of your takeaways. Tell me about uh, this change. Is it change? Did I do that right? Your acronym? Yes, it's yes. change. Um, this is, it comes from Ash Wednesday's mass, um, at least the one that did, uh, that we had here um, up at St. Joe and their Lenten theme is change. So last week was commitment and, you know, what does that look, what did that look like last week? Well, I, I at least thought about the word commitment every day. What am I committing myself to? Because okay. I was very okay. cognizant of the fact that I needed to commit. And I, each day I just made a conscious effort to commit to what I was doing at that moment and not what I needed to get done. And that was the best I could do, um, was just committing to, to each moment in the present. And then The second week is H, and it stands for humility. So I'm going to need to really think about the humility in my life and to remain humble throughout the week. That will be a great reminder for me every day. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I am certainly going to think of that word and uh, every day and just see hopefully where it, it takes me. I'm going to say it's probably going to be more in my thoughts than my actions. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to leave it there. I think I will have to make sure that I remain um, in a state of humility in, in all ways this week. And then hopefully that will kind of make it a habit and carry it on. Yeah. What a great, I love that acronym. I think it's very moving. I like that you have committed, committed each day to think about it. And humility is so important because our humanity can so get in the way for the good and the bad. So yes, when we stay humble and realize things are a gift from God and nothing is a given, uh, you're on to something. So I will, t- I thank you for the invitation. I will think about and pray with that this week. Um, one thing that I would like to work on my takeaway, it's related to senior retreat, the retreat leader's husband, a huge soccer player, coach youth soccer has had a tremendous life maybe for another time but his his kind of talk that he gave was this essential question how can as a zero zero 
soccer game be remotely interesting? So my coworker asked him this, an athletic director, and he meant it sincerely. And soccer is known as the beautiful game. So how can that be interesting? How can that be beautiful? There's no score. I mean, that's just boring. No, he said that great soccer is all about creating space and that if you watch the best, they're able to create space in a way that allows the game to be played effectively, efficiently. And he used this. I was like, John, your talk is sports and spirituality in our lives. What is it that allows us to create space? And I think Lent is about, it's an invitation to create space in our life, to create space for God, to create space for silence, to create space where we're taking out something, right? By giving something up so that only, you know, the love of God can come in. And I want to just continue to pray about that and think about it because honestly, the biggest problems in my life might come from my, well, I'm humbled when they happen, but it's when I don't allow that space to occur. When I get in my own way, when I right get too worked up, I'm trying to control too much. So okay, that's my takeaway for this week. I, I love that. I I love that the whole idea of creating space. It's it's also a rhyme, reminder for me that I clearly don't know the game of soccer. I I and I don't and I think that's yeah I don't know the game just like I don't know the game of golf right. So you watch a golf match much differently than I do. You're looking at the shots. You're looking at I don't even know what you're looking at. I'm just looking at the fact that I think this is really boring and how can I change the channel. Because I don't appreciate the game. I know. I know. I know. I don't appreciate the game because I don't appreciate the the space. I think that's a beautiful way of saying it. Same with soccer, right? I can I, I actually have spent more time watching soccer than I have golf. So I can I can actually see where if you are a true advocate um, a true student of the sport, where you are looking at the ways, the plays. Um, unfold. I, I see that in water polo. Again, water polo is a little more fast playing, but you it, there is a there is a flow to the game that you might not see it to the, you know the naked eye might not see. Anyway, I the, but the whole idea of creating space and opening it up so that we can allow ourselves to absorb and learn is mm-hmm. is so great. I think um, I think yeah, that's something you should share with your classes this week. I think your students would. Oh. I, I asked John, I said, I, I think you have, I think you should write an article. A number of my seniors were on retreat. I, I'm thinking about the idea of, of inviting him in because I love the question. I said, was that question even real? Because it seems like a plant, right? For the story. And he said, no, no, it was. And I could actually see the two of them, the person who asked the question and John engaging. And I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I have had to be at a number of these games this year. So I now have like a better sense of it, but in every sport, like you said, water polo, there's certainly, it it prompts the question, what does it mean to create space? And I was thinking about basketball and like somebody's job is just to set a screen. They've basically eliminated the space. But again, if we're taking that over to our own lives, like there's so much there, what is getting in the way and, and what does it mean to create space with God? Um, I have to think a lot more about that. I I think I see a sports and spirituality blog post here as well. I'm sure you're already thinking in those terms. Also, for those of you who don't follow Anne's blog, Sports and Spirituality, it's really a great read every week. Thank you. 
So, well, and here's to being humble this week, um, humility. Yeah. Here's to creating space. Here's to hopefully, you know, the goal here with with Lent is to create to, true change. So I'm going to follow through on commitment and humility. I'm gonna I'm gonna add one as opposed to just replacing yeah. one. Right. And I look forward to catching up next week and seeing what that looks like in our lives. Likewise. Thanks, Haley. Have Have a great week. You too.